That's what I'm saying. If you manage to do that, you are far better at technology stuff than I am. But I do bow to your amazingness <laughs> because you are Gavin Dudley, the editor oh. of the largest consumer technology publication on the continent, which is Tech Magazine. Um, you are listening to... Oh, yes. And you're the gadget guy. The What what we call you on, on Tech Radar? Product editor. Yeah, the but... product editor yeah. at Tech Radar the South African version. If you go into techradar.com, you will get the South African flag in the top right-hand corner. If you do not, please switch off your VPN or do change <laughs> to it. You are, of course, Quite listening right. to episode 104 of the Overclock ZA podcast. Thank you for joining. I am Lindsay Shooters. I am that opinion guy. That opinion guy.co.za is where you find me. I'm sharpshooters on social media. Uh, surname is S-C-H-U-T-T-E-R-S, so it's not like the shooters like shooting people or drinking. Kevin, a lot of stuff going on this week. Um, but yeah, first we need to just call out, I think our last episode just sounded beautiful because of these lovely FIFA and mics that we're speaking on. Yeah, I think um, a lot of people want to get into podcasting or multimedia generally, and they wary about investing money in equipment. I've come to realize that the kind of multimedia that makes a lasting impact with people is actually multimedia where people have put in the time and energy and the resources to make it sound really good. So I'm really pleased that we are now using these high-quality mics from Fifine. We're not even sure how to pronounce it. It's F-I-F-I-N-E. Fifine might make more sense. And they're supplied by Syntec. Syntec is a big tech distribution company, but Fifine, the microphones we're using, is one of their lines. Um, I'm using the K670, which is one of those classic sort of Johnny Cash style stand mics. And Lindsay is using the K678, which how would you describe that? It's more like a... It's similar to yours, but it's like on a tripod sort of thing. So it swivels on this tripod and it has, better than yours, it has mic and headphone gain separately. Ah. So you only have one little knob that you get to turn. I have two. Mine is a bit more space efficient, uh, the K670, and yours is spread out a little bigger, but it has more detailed control. They're both USB sort of plug and play. You just plug them in and away you go. And mm. then you adjust your settings, you know, once you find it. Importantly, the they have the entire audio interface on the mic side. So if you plug it into a Type-C adapter and into a new Samsung device, um, flagship device that doesn't have a headphone jack and a very irritating imp implementation of USB 3.2, um, you can do full-on mic things and actually add any headphone you want through the port on the mic. I see. Okay. You just have to like lug around an entire USB mic to listen to music via cable. Okay. <laughs> but um, the point is our sound quality, we haven't fine-tuned it yet. We're still experimenting, but our sound quality we found has really picked up a major notch, and we hope that's going to have an impact on you, dear listener. The B-Fine mics, the K670 I'm using, and Lindsay using the K678. Mine is 960 Rand online. Found a price on mine. Okay, well, you can visit the Syntec website if you want to find out more about the B-Fine mics that we use. Good luck with that. Yeah, hopefully they're having some Black Friday promotions, Gavin, because it is November. Um, it oh. is South Africa. We love jumping onto the um, bandwagon, which is traditionally the day after Thanksgiving for the U.S. Mm. Um, I, I don't dig. I don't dig Black Friday because what's happened is the big outlets, um, and I speak under correction. And please don't come hunt me with your lawyers. <laughs> but I see a lot of companies put their prices up, 
um, yep. just by like Black Friday, five yeah. or seven percent, and then reduce it by like ten percent, exactly. and then they say it's like a twenty-five percent saving, and it's like no, dude. Five <laughs> percent saving, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've seen that. In fact, I mean, over uh, uh, overclock, uh, take a lot has actually been caught out two years in a row doing that. It's like shameless, actually, that they do that, man. Shameless. Yeah. I mean, some of it's not take a lot itself, of course. It's the other vendors who are selling within take a lot, um, but that's not great. So all the big vendors for tech that you'd be interested in would be Game, Macro, uh, Take a Lot, obviously, Incredible Connection. Who am I missing here? Oh, Computer uh, Mania. They're all having specials of one kind or another. Probably the easiest way to find out is just to visit their websites. They've all got big brochures stuck up in the front of their website of the specials that are on places you might not think to look, which I stumbled on yesterday, which was very interesting, was the Samsung South Africa website. Because mm. Earlier this year, Samsung decided to start retailing directly through its website. And basically, you can't really get better prices than what they've got on their website, which is very impressive. And they've got a whole series of specials um, from appliances to headphones. I, in particular, was looking at gaming monitors. Now, I hope you don't all rush out and steal the gaming monitors that I've targeted. <laughs> um, but, I mean, there's the kind of thing, you know, it's like an indulgence purchase. Black Friday maybe is the time to go and look at that stuff. I found some superb products around the 3,000, 4,000 Rand mark. So, um, but I, I do object to people buying stuff they don't need just because they think it's discounted. South yeah. Africa is in such a precarious economic position that please be very sure that you can afford the stuff you're buying and don't buy it just because you think you're getting some special deal. We warn you against things that look like special deals that are not still not affordable so please be wary of that mm, yeah i've been i've been mining a lot of like facebook marketplace trying to, to pick up certain things like i i don't particularly buy um i just go look for products that i do need in my life right. and see if they are available because with technology if it doesn't have a battery in it yes um you can then buy like second hand or refurbish refurb so second hand if it doesn't have a battery in it if it does have a battery it must be refurbished um which means there's probably a new battery being put in place and like a couple other things and then above refurbished um demo unit and then like old stock so runoff stock from like last year or something and then you buy new <laughs> so that's okay, like my kind right, of right, tier, right. my hierarchy of like purchase decisions yeah, so I, mean, I always tier, go through that kind of way. Yeah, the tier that interests me there is last year's models. Yeah. Um, I mean, take, for example, the Note 9 that you and I have both been quite enjoying. That phone is now two years old. It still really kicks ass, and you can pick it up yeah. for almost a song now if you can find it at all, of course. And the same is true of laptops, and it's especially true of TVs. For some reason, last year's TVs, where the technology is only changed by a very small increment from last year, last year's mm. TVs come for, you know, big deep discounts so you know there's very little advantage to buying the very 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 current model with laptops it's probably a little bit more relevant processes and things get more efficient and so on but you know phones that were epic two years ago are still pretty damn good today in fact yeah. very good you know so think on those terms hmm. talking about that note 9 received its end of life kind of major feature update yesterday one ui 2.5 and did not benefit from the external audio integration in the pro video section of the stock camera app. Um, I'm fighting my way through the weeds here. I'm like, where are we? Where are we? 
<laughs> I can't see a way out. <laughs> Which is strange because I don't know. I don't know if it's a hard, an actual hardware limitation, or if it's a chipset limitation, um, or Samsung was just like, nah, let's force those guys to buy like Note 10s or Note yeah, 20s. Yeah, I think you know, in their mind, Note 9 is like such ancient history. They can't even see it in the rearview mirror anymore. That's the speed those guys are looking because you know they've already got. Note 30 in the works, you know, obviously. Yeah. So, you know, to them, Note 9 is like, uh, irrelevant. But the know? bizarre thing is the internals are shared with the Note 10 Lite, which is now part of this three-year support um, yeah. program. I'm suspicious of the Note 10 Lite. I think they went out of their way to minimize the availability to the media of the Note 10 Lite. They don't <laughs> want to talk about budget phones, Samsung ever. They only want to talk about their flagship Halo products. So that you know they will basically just portray themselves as the leading tech company. They don't want to talk about budget and affordable and you know. Well, I was smart. playing around yeah. with the Note 10 Lite this morning. One of my friends has one. We had a bit of a coffee meeting um, for a couple of other projects, and yeah, that's a solid phone, decent exactly. cameras. Exactly. Yeah, but Samsung doesn't want you to buy that one. Actually, you know, well they they do want you to buy you to see the real Note 10 and then feel as though you got the one you could afford, which is yeah you know, right. As long as it's a Samsung, yeah, okay. But uh, I'm still scouting around. Um, Samsung, if you want to part with one of your Note 25 Gs, um, I am here for you. I will catch it. I have very good hands, <laughs> steady under the highball. I'm basically Willie LaRue without <laughs> a shoulder injury, which was very interesting if you've been following like the best entertainment we've had in a very long time, local entertainment called Chasing the Sun, the documentary, oh, right. five weeks. Five episodes charting the Springboks and their rise to World Cup glory, and like all the little storylines underlying that, like Vili, who had an, a nerve impingement. That's why he was so crapped under the highball, like the three oh, games before the final. This is on Showmax only, hey? Right? It's Showmax, it was on Mnet um, and on uh -huh. Catch Up if you want DSTV Premium. But it was first only on Showmax Pro, and now I see they've extended it to. Um, the full Showmax, like the standard Showmax bouquet. So, I mean, how is someone like me going to get around to seeing this? Oh, you, um, so you use the DSTV app, right? Yes. Which is piggybacked off an account, right? Yes. So that's what I need to do is piggyback a DSTV now app because I don't need to watch all that many things, but this I clearly do need to watch. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. You feel all yes, of I've the heard it's fantastic. Um, But it's great. But talking about other things, Gavin, we touched on it briefly technology sales, and you pulled out some interesting GFK research here. I have a problem with GFK because as someone who has worked in the media industry as booking ads at a medical journal, um, mm. it's very close to GSK, which is Glasgow Smith's Klein. Right, right. I, always, <laughs> I also mix those two up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, this GFK research, GFK is what, a Dutch company, I think? I'm not sure if they're Dutch I or believe German. so, yeah. Something like that. Um, but they do do localized research in South Africa and, you know, and they match that up with their global trend reports and so on. I have like issues with the data that they pulled out for the South African numbers of the last eight months, which is basically mm. the COVID period. Okay. Um, I mean, some of these numbers just don't make sense to me. Okay. They say market penetration increased for smartphones 78% to 91%. This is how sales numbers have increased. 40% to 52% for laptops, 36% to 39% for tablets, and 25 to 29% for consoles. So smartphones took a big jump, laptops took a decent jump, tablets took a small jump, gaming consoles took a small jump. 
These are all things whose sales went up in the last eight months um, from the same period last year. Mm. And what concerns me is that this was all taking place during the pandemic. So I can understand perhaps that learners were getting tablets, people were getting laptops to work from home, gaming consoles for people who were trapped at home. This I understand, even smartphones for people who had to work you know, from home and were mm. in the office and so on. All that I understand, but here's the one that threw me. Revenue for the, tele- for the telecommunications market was down 13% over that period. How could telecom's revenue have gone down over the last eight, eight months? Um, I think Isn't they're that... looking at enterprise level um, because oh, I see. everything no, shifted to point. home consumer. Yeah. yeah, all those dedicated connections. But now, are we saying that those companies, I suppose the companies just shut up shop, eh? And yeah, and look at look look at your your company for instance, um, or at least your employer. And you said like the Wi-Fi signal, oh. the Wi-Fi is not open to everybody anymore. Anymore, yeah, yeah. But that's what I'm saying. I mean, did these companies really just switch the stuff off? Is that where the money went? How I think could... they scaled down a lot because they were losing revenue everywhere else in their business. So you scale down to meet your needs. Yeah. Yeah, and inevitably some small businesses closed. So those would be all broadband connections that were shut off. Mm. Uh, and you'd, you'd think it would be offset by people using data at home. But of course, data at home is you're going to use so much less. So yeah. the revenue is so much less than it would be. for Well, I, that, that's an interesting way to put it because a lot of people actually then realized how much Internet resource they actually consume. Yes, yes, yes. When they're there <laughs> full time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So uh, like. The the internet connections were creaking. Everyone was trying to upgrade. And yeah, like, again, props to the ISPs, some of them, most of them, for like upping people's speeds and coming up with like really compelling packages. Um, now, like, I, I think I saw a rain. You saw, so I have the 10 gig per month on Vodacom for 130 rand, and you saw it for 100 bucks. Yeah. Um, for a 24-month contract. Oh, Rain yeah. now has an unlimited um, LTE package for smartphones for 379 Rand a month, which is incredible value. It's 100 Rand okay. less than for, for like home use, but you can't hotspot whether they limit that. Um, yeah. Your streaming but is also, also limited. Also, the footprint for Rain will still be fairly small in Cape Town, right? I mean, what percentage of, of, of Cape Town metropolitan would you say is covered by rain? 40%? I'd say 70, 70%. I was actually yeah. looking at the 5G rollout, which has now reached a suburb away from me. And <laughs> I can see that dark blue wave coming for me. <laughs> I feel your pain, man. For those who don't know, Lindsay's had like the worst luck with broadband. First, the ADSL kept falling over because... Where he is, they keep stealing the cables. Yeah. So then he was forced to move to an LTE solution. Then that proved inadequate. So then he moved to Rain, but they throttled him on the video downloads and all uh-huh. sorts of stuff. So it's just been an uphill struggle. For someone who's an internet power user, man, the pain. I feel the pain. And then his whole family came home to steal his internet connection from him. Exactly. <laughs> and now, like, routers are falling over because the draw uh, is too high. and uh, It's an ongoing right. fight, but when 5G comes, 679 rand a month, I will gladly do that. I actually just finished up a coffee meeting with someone at his house and he was like, I'm having a problem because I'm paying for 300 megs up and down 
and I'm only getting a hundred in like this part of my house. And I'm like, really? This is a problem for you? He's like, that's not fast enough. He's a video editor and he's uploading like gigantic freaking files um, oh. to clients and stuff. But still, man, they were just like spitting in my face. Okay. Well, just for context, just the other day I was relating to my children when our broadband cap for our ADSL was three gigabytes. Three gigabytes was the entire data cap, okay, for broadband when it started. Three. So what would happen is we would use the internet and our email through the month, and then at the end of the month, there would be 800 meg left over, and I could download yeah. a movie. It was this yeah. big thing. I would fight to download one movie every month, okay? Three gigabytes was the cap. And then over time, um, you know, it moved and moved, and we paid more and more, and then it got to 300 gigabytes, like yeah. maybe a year or two ago. Um, and I kept with the 300 gigabytes because at the time my kids were like young teenagers and that's roughly yeah. what they were doing. And we wanted premium speed. So I kept yes. it capped at 300, but you know, at premium speed. And then when we got the fiber, we went for uncapped. Of course, we are now hmm. doing one petabyte per month. That's a thousand gigabytes. gigabytes per month. Our family's burning through, man. I just, uh, of course, we're all working from home. My kids are studying from home. So, but I mean, a petabyte, you know, it's like insane. If you think back to the three gigabyte we started with. Oh, we, we, we increased to a terabyte now. Okay. Um, okay. I think that's what I meant. Sorry, I meant a terabyte, not a petabyte. Oh, wow. You <laughs> a petabyte on the terabyte, like, terabyte. How, how, how is your ISP yeah. not trying to upgrade it to enterprise yeah, account? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, we'd never get through a petabyte. Jeez, what would we have to do for that? We'd have to have a family of 50 of us, all yeah. busy. Um, yeah, we, we were in the same space. We were averaging around 220 um, uh -huh. gigs a month um, before like lockdown. Like the beginning of this year, I remember like January, February, we were doing like 220. Um, and then we just went up. It was like 700 gigs the first month of lockdown and then just averaging like 950 terabyte right now. Okay. I mean, that's weird because I mean, I know where mine's going. I wonder where yours going. You've got two relatively uh, very minor minors. In other words, you've got a preteen and yeah. a kid, basically. Yeah. So I, I'm sure their usage can't be that high. I mean, we five adults, bro. Um, and, oh, I yeah. see. Right. Yeah, yeah they are the other a... adults. What about the other adults? So, yeah. so you have someone at home who's like constantly on Zoom calls and stuff? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 have, I have the same. And then I've just... Hard for gamers. And I've just decided, you know what, bugger it. Um, I'm now a filthy downloader because... <laughs> Disney Plus is not in our territory, and uh, HBO shows are coming too slowly. Um, and yeah, like this is us started again. Um, so I'm currently downloading last night's uh, okay. episode. Right. Yeah, so I want to watch things in in near real time. But that moves us quickly to a little bit of a history lesson as well. Firstly, 10th of November, it is now been cast in stone. It is the Apple Silicon event. Well, it's an Apple event. They're calling it one last thing. So it can be all like the hangover stuff that they should have released. So like, um, what's it, AirPods Studio, um, which is like the big fancy headset vibes. It will be AirTags, which is like the, the location tracker, little tiles. And then Apple Silicon Max. Which is the you... biggest deal out of all of them. In fact, it's, yeah. in my mind, it's the biggest deal of the year out of all the stuff they've launched. Yeah. Yeah, so rumors right now are looking at 
two uh, two Mac Pros, MacBook Pros, and the MacBook Air, which will be updated. No design changes, but all like internal changes, probably migrating over to Apple Silicon. Which I'm interested to see how they're going to fit um, like Radeon graphics in with the Apple Silicon on the MacBook Pros. Very very interested in that. So for those who missed the context, yeah, um, what happened was about two years ago, Apple's chip that they put in their phone, the Bionic chip, was so powerful they maintained it would run a medium weight laptop. And in fact, the truth is, it probably could run a medium weight laptop. But it started speculation that Apple might produce a single chip that runs its phones, its tablets, and its laptops if the chip got powerful enough. And everyone watched that closely. And now that day has more or less come. I say more or less because we don't know that it's going to be the exact same chip from the phone in the laptop. It's unlikely. But the mm. point is they've developed their chip technology to a point where you could almost have one chip that's powerful enough to run a whole laptop or phone or tablet. It's become that powerful, which is interesting. And they've basically developed that architecture more or less by themselves. Some of it is still dependent on the ARM um, structures that we discussed in several yeah. podcasts before, but you believe it's just the software set they're using from ARM, none the of the actual reference chip designs. So we yeah. think that the Apple chip designs might be unique to them, which will leave them in an immensely powerful position. In my opinion, too powerful a position, although in this case, they've got there legitimately, I feel. I feel that yeah. the, the designs they've done on their chips that have given them this massive lead in the market is true Apple innovation, not all this other crap that we think about screens and phones, and that's not true Apple innovation. The true Apple innovation has been around these chips, in my opinion. This is yeah, the thing I can give them. Yeah. And, and that kind of market lead that you talk about is kind of a callback to what Steve Jobs did way back in 1982, which kind of put the Macintosh right at the front of the queue when it comes to like graphic design and that sort of thing. So firstly, he went to Xerox Park, which is the Palo Alto Research Center, most of the technologies you know and love came from. So the mouse, the graphic user interface, um, Ethernet, <laughs> um, yeah. like a whole bunch of things came off of that. And yeah, so there were two guys working at Xerox um, and they decide, they developed PostScript, which could turn like digital images into like a printable format um, on the laser writer printer, which Xerox was currently developing. But at this stage, Xerox was also the biggest seller of um, typesetters. So photo typesetters, which you get, which would print like effectively newspapers. So those sorts of printing, that scale of like printing, which has been around since the 50s. And they were like, now nah, we're not going to go with this PostScript thing. So these guys bugged off, started their own company called Adobe. Steve Jobs was like, hey guys, I want some of that action because we are, after we do the Macintosh, we're going to do our own laser writer printer, and you could give us a big leg up. And they were like, no, but you can buy 16% of the company. So we did that at five times the current valuation of the company. Well, what year are we in here? We're in 1982. Okay, so early 80s. Okay, early yeah. 80s, Steve Jobs thinks it's a good idea to buy a chunk of this new Adobe company that no one's ever heard of. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he pays five times the current valuation for 16% ah. of the country of the company and then pays upfront for a five-year license for PostScript in 1982. So there was no use case for PostScript at this stage. It was only like theoretical. Yes. It, just to put it in context, the, the actual Apple Mac only came into existence for real in 1984. So yeah. 
at this stage, computers still have monochrome screens, okay? They don't even <laughs> color screens properly, okay? And Steve Jobs is already looking ahead to what computer graphics will look like in the future, and that's what he's buying into, yeah. Yeah. So then the Macintosh comes out with the graphical user interface and, like, the Windows, like Windows system and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And then they develop the laser writer printer with this lovely PostScript technology that they license. That's right. For those who missed it, Apple used to make printers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that combination allowed average consumers or, or at least graphic artists to go directly from digital image to printing out that digital image on paper and not having to go through typesetters and like all these things. And within five years, that combination killed off um, the big typesetting operations just yes. because the, the, the scale, it scaled up quite rapidly on the laser printer side and the economics were just like dirt cheap so, to kind of push those things let, up. Let me give you a practical example of how that worked. Okay, South Africa in the late 80s was uh, at the peak, it was apartheid peak in the late yeah. 80s, trouble and violence in the country. At that point, the Mail and Guardian newspaper, which was then called the Weekly Mail, comes into existence. It's the first newspaper in the whole of Africa made entirely on computers. And why? Because of Apple computers. They made it possible to, de to design things on a computer, print it out on a laser printer, which then can get turned into plates, which they print the newspaper with. The typesetting process that Lindsay described before that was so hugely complicated, involved so many people, so many different technologies, but it made it possible for a newspaper like the Weekly Mail with no resources to produce a mainstream mass-produced newspaper entirely on Apple technology, even though Apple wasn't even in the country at the time. The computers at the Mail and Guardian, the spare parts had to be got from Mozambique. So every month, a delegation would travel to Mozambique to get Apple's <laughs> spare parts to keep the computers running. Okay, that's what the late 80s was going on. That was when the Mail, the Mail and Guardian was founded, which was called the Weekly Mail, only made possible because of the exact technology that Lindsay has just described. Yeah. Mm. And then that kind of synergy um, between those two companies, Adobe and, and Apple. Then in 788, um, they released Adobe Illustrator, which debuted on the Mac, which allowed graphic artists to use the mouse and graphic user interface environment to create um, digital art. Um, and then in 89, they bought, Adobe bought the distribution rights for Photoshop. That actually launched at a Windows event, bizarrely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in those yeah. days, you've got to understand, I mean, Mac was still really tiny. And of course, in South Africa, it was almost non-existent. Uh, even though Mac was big in education and other places all over the world. But what you're describing is how they became the de facto platform for graphic artists. was yeah. because they'd invested in that infrastructure and built up on that infrastructure. Uh -huh. Yeah, and yeah, that was like one of Jobs' great talents was that he, he didn't play to the ball. He played to the next play. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where the ball the balls, land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, you have to give him credit for that. And that is a, a lead in what has become kind of like the mainstream industry for media creation. Um, so then the entire media game get, is synonymous with the Macintosh. Yeah. And from a marketing perspective, if the people creating the message are using those tools, you have such a big lead in like mindshare. Um, and it's easy to see why the iPhone is as big as it is now, because it 
leans on all of that kind of yep. progress that yep. was made way back in the 80s. Actually, I mean, if you want to be a little philosophical about it, it's actually, uh, Macintosh is actually an icon of an entire chunk of society. It's a way of thinking, it's a way of being that's reflected in personal technology that is a Mac product. You know, a lot of this job's built into the DNA of the company. Whatever mm. you say today about how the company's being run, back then it was a product that addressed a particular part of society in a particular way. And uh, that was really important at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interestingly enough, so Intel sold its memory business last week, this week, last week, uh, like around the weekend. Yeah. For 9 billion Rand, they sold their memory business to Hynix, which now leaves, I think Samsung is the biggest memory manufacturer in the world. Yep. Yeah. Really so, important. A very similar kind, it's called NAND flash, kind of memory that goes into phones and all sorts of other things, but PCs as well, yeah. Mm. Well, well so, I think Samsung's the leader for NAND flash, but also for regular RAM, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. now Intel sold off its chip, like its, its radio business, its 5G, mm. effectively the 5G business, um, yeah. to Apple last year. Right. Yeah, so in the current iPhone, the iPhone 12, um, they redesigned the logic board. Like the big, the big thing about the iPhone 12 is the battery is smaller than in the iPhone 11, and less. Or it's the same power density. So they could have either increased the power density or the actual physical size of the cell. Um, it's, but it's the same power density, and the, it's actually smaller because the logic board is like a lot bigger. Like I think it's like 15 or 12 percent bigger than in the iPhone 11. But this was obviously mm. to integrate the, um, what's the other company? Qualcomm 5G antenna. Um, but they are surely by next yeah. year, by the iPhone 13, going to Strike reduce out on that, their own. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Going to reduce that package size like way down, um, which is yeah, just a little bit inside baseball there. But yeah, Intel now just kind of makes um, processes. Um, yeah, I mean, What's interesting about this is you need to keep an eye on Apple and what it's doing in the chip market. To me, this is the most interesting part of Apple and the most interesting part of our technological future is what Apple is doing in microchips. Because microchips actually power lots of things, not just iPhones, not just computers, lots of things. And Apple is basically cutting such a big swathe through the industry with what it's, with what it's doing in microchips, even though it's never been a major player. But if you rewind, 30 years of Apple, you'll realize that they used to produce all their own chips for the original computers back in the day. And then yeah. about 10, 15 years ago, they switched to Intel and allowed Intel to make the chips for their computers just because it was cost effective. And now what's happened is Intel is proving to be not good enough. They can't keep pace with what mm. Apple's trying to do with its products. So Apple's taking things into its own hands again, which is interesting. It's like a whole cyclical thing from when Apple yeah. used to produce all its own products and then outsourced it and now it's taking it all back again. Yeah. Interesting. I think the biggest technological leaps you are going to see are through Apple's uh, chipsets going forward. Which is interesting because it's not going to share that with anyone else. It wants to keep all that stuff to itself. But they're going to be highly advanced. It would be like cars that it didn't want to sell to you know, the general public, just to, yeah. just to America. It didn't want to sell them anywhere else in the world, let's say. How weird would that be? You know, that's what's going to yeah. happen with these amazing Apple technologies, unfortunately. 
Yeah. And and that switch over to Intel was also the move from um, Mac OS 9 to Mac OS 10, which we know as Mac OS X now, um, which is still going. That was the move from the power PC into um, Intel chips. So yeah, it's 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 kind of like I, I would love to see how a jobless Apple handles this transition into the next phase of computing because they're going to set that benchmark again. Although early reports, or at least, well, the reports on the second generation of the Surface X, the Surface Pro X, which is the mm. ARM um, Surface tablet, are very good. Like um, Windows are changing up a lot of things there. So it's it's going to be interesting to, to see what's, what's coming down the line. Yeah, I mean, it's boring for consumers to understand what's going on in the microchip market. Most people don't have a clue what microchips are running inside their devices, nor should you mm. care, frankly. If the device is working, that's fine. But actually, what's going on in the microchip market is actually socio-political as well. It determines how products are priced. It determines disparity in pricing, which in turn determines what products end up in which markets. It determines how yeah. fast technology advances. So actually, it does sound like inside baseball when we talk about microchips. But to us, it's the raw, raw components of what drives our whole industry forward is who's doing what in the microchip world, because that's at the heart of every piece of electronics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, just a little bit of microchip news. Last week, we spoke about the Mate 40, and we were hoping that that would be the first Oxygen OS. And we were talking about how they have the chip shortage now because of the, the trade sanctions that have subsequently been lifted. Um, but Huawei last week, also going into the weekend, did a whole spiel, and they opened up their own chip um, um, division, and they'll be making their own stuff from scratch now, from the instruction sets to everything, obviously integrating with Harmony OS. And yeah, we why keep is important? Why is this important? Because if they play their cards right, over the next four or five years, they could end up in a position as strong as Apple and less dependent on external things like Samsung. That's the whole point, is that Huawei was actually caught off guard by not producing enough of its own core technologies, which made it vulnerable to, you know, again, just political, you know, political um, Yeah. And Apple is not susceptible to that because it builds all its own stuff for itself. You know, it, it's dependent on the global supply chain, but its core technologies, it builds itself, its own microchips. Now it has its own 5G radios. Pretty soon it'll have its own screen technologies, I believe. Mm. I believe that's the next thing they're working on, and so on and so forth, you know. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting little things. But, Gavin, let's get back to some straight-up consumer technology. And you've been playing around with the Fire Tablet HD 8+. Yes, yes. So, I mean, Fire, Amazon produces these tablets called Fire Tablets. And the original ones were very high class. They've subsequently become super budget buys. But they're not that easy to find in South Africa. I don't know if you've ever tried to find an Amazon tablet. They're really big in America. They sold en masse in America mm. and other countries, just hard to find here. They're being sold here or brought in by a company called Circuit City. You can get them in a couple of different places. The uh, Amazon Fire HD Plus tablet that I'm using is almost the latest one out. It's only 2,500 Rand for an 8-inch tablet. Very nice and thin, but you would have to say... Uh, the screen quality is probably not quite up to what you remember from, you know, high-end tablets, Samsung mm. tablets and so on. Screen quality not quite there. Battery life has been exceptional so far. But, of course, it doesn't run Android as we know it. It runs uh, Amazon's version of Android, which means that you can't really just get all the same apps you used to. Some of them are in the Amazon 
Android flavored app store. Some of them are not. Um, it's a bit off-putting. And the thing I'm finding most distracting is that I haven't found a way to cast from my tablet to my Google Chromecast. Ooh. I think because there's constant friction between the suppliers of video services, between Apple, Amazon, and Google. There's constant friction between the three of them about how interoperable their products will be with each other. So in this case, I'm finding the Amazon tablet won't interoperate with the Google Chromecast, as far as I can tell. So for example, you might find that your Amazon tablet also won't interact with your Apple TV, because they seem to have constant friction between these three mm. companies. And then they change things, then things work together, and then they don't work together. But you know, if you're going to get an Amazon tablet, understand that it's not going to be a straightforward Android experience, but it still has virtues and it's a great price. Yeah, so Lenovo also produced a Amazon tab or Fire, well, a uh, tablet, Fire an Android yep. tablet that plays nice with Fire OS. Um, so when you put it into a little dock thing, it turns effectively into like an Alexa device. Okay, all right. Yeah, so I, I think that's the M10. Um, and yeah, there they was supposed to be local distribution. There wasn't any. I'm looking for one now. I've been hitting up Lenovo because I've been using my Ring doorbell um, right at the front of the gate and trying to integrate Ring into my Apple slash Google ecosystem is a nightmare. The only thing that works is the ever reliable Samsung Smart Things, which just <laughs> integrates with really, every hey? Um, really, hey? really? system in the world to a point where Smart Things is now on the new Mercedes on the MBUX. It's been rolled out to the entire fleet um, through an over-the-air update. MBUX. Oh, Mercedes. user experience. It's an in-car infotainment thing on the new Mercedes from last year-ish. I think beginning of last year they started rolling out. Um, the new A-Class was the first of the consumer stuff to get it. Um, yeah, it came in like the, the big G-Class and the S-Class. and okay. Yeah, but Your it's now rolling out. Samsung's Samsung's Internet of Things system works with this too, is what you Yeah, saying. so there's an app that you can load onto MBUX, and that now integrates the entirely. So you can control your smart home if it's connected through smart things from your car. Which okay. I don't understand why, using, but it's cool. Using, using Samsung as the carrier, as the common interface between all these things. Yeah, smart things. So smart things works with Zigbee, it works with Z Wave, it works with every single smart home protocol it's just like gimme 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 yeah interesting lg wanted to be those people lg wanted when they brought up the thing q stuff they wanted to be that um home hub be, let it yes. be the tv or something but i agree with you samsung probably was in a better position given its phone installed base was in a better position to pull off this trick I actually haven't used smart things. I've seen it pop up and I've never used it. I'm going to if give you, it a if try. You have a ring, if you have a ring camera at home, um, okay. set so it now, up and then run it through smart things. Know, ring... It actually works better than using the ring app. South Africa, big all over the world. It's a camera at your front door, which allows you to see who's at your front door and then open your, unlock the door for people to come in and yeah. so on, right? Um, yeah. Called the ring doorbell was the original system. Yeah, so now they have like all sorts of, um, security cameras and stuff. I mm. think they, they so they're owned by Amazon now. Now they're um, owned by Amazon, yeah. And they released at Amazon's last hardware event, there's this sentry drone. So it's like a oh, ring I, camera, and then it can like go up and door, it can fly around. The drone takes off to find out who it is. Uh, unbelievable, <laughs> man. Yeah, I must get one of those for the estate. Yeah. <laughs> 
will actually yeah. be perfect for me. Um, Instead of looking out the window to see who's there, you know, because <laughs> by the time they've come up our kilometer long driveway, I won't know who it is. You know, better send the yeah. drone. Yeah. yeah, but props to Mercedes as well. They were also the pioneers in the in the car game with like the the eSIMs, so the embedded SIM cards, which is embedded straight on like the logic board, um, and doing all sorts of fancy things with GPS, doing geofencing, like. The Mercedes E-Class, the last generation, was the first non-smartphone device you could buy with a smartphone contract. I got completely lost in that statement. My mind just wandered off. Okay, you were to say that first, one more time? It was the first eSIM device you could buy on a Vodacom contract. Like, even before the Gear S3, the Galaxy Gear S3. Those who don't know eSIMs, it's a SIM card, but it's basically soldered into the device. And so you yeah. don't actually actually have to have a little plastic chip thing that you put in there. It's actually in there. You just got to activate it by punching in some codes and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Which um, I, I don't understand why all phones don't have an eSIM at this point. I really no. don't understand. Or like a software-based SIM of some kind, you know? it's All it's doing is authenticating you on the network. There's got to be a software way to do this instead of these little plastic chips that have got to be shunted around in and out of phones and so on. Because it's a problem with, like, bootstrapping it and, like, who controls um, like just how the networks can control that kind of interaction. And um, is if they can put eSIMs in cars and in watches, for example, why can't they just bake it into the damn phone? But they um, haven't done that anywhere in the world, so it's not like a South Africa problem. Uh, um, I, I will have you know that the dual SIM standard for the iPhone since the iPhone XS and XR has been eSIM. No, <laughs> ah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. But then why... If they can implement it sometimes, why can't they implement it every way all the time? It's the carriers, it's the network carriers, because they don't yeah. know. They can't fit a model that works with um, mobile number portability, like without ICASA laws here, and controlling the, the eSIM. That, that, that's the biggest problem, because they want full control over that device there. Yeah, I know, but it, it still feels a bit bogus to me. Okay, fine. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I started complaining about why we can't have eSIMs like five, five, six, seven years ago, actually. Yeah. It was one of the first features that was written when we launched Tech Magazine. I wanted to know why. And the writer could not get to the bottom of it. He spoke to all the networks and all, they're all ummed and odd. And no one would commit to it as a good idea. You know, now I understand You should still commission me again. You're right. You're right. <laughs> you wrote our story on USB-C, though, which was interesting. And you probably update that story today because back then it was very early. Yeah. Yeah. It's still okay. a mess. Um, but yeah, moving on to other consumer things, my how-to tip for the week. Continuing from last week, how to take better pictures with any phone. Let's get into a little bit of, of settings. You want to switch off all AI modes. Like I prefer to shoot with what the camera is actually seeing. Um, so on most phones, you can leave HDR on like in auto mode. LG's finally come to the party. The, the HDR auto is very good. So with all the top-end phones, you can just leave that on. But then it's important to go into your settings. And there's a thing called the aspect ratio. So you can either shoot four by three or like some people call it then full vision, which then makes the camera viewfinder take up the entire um, screen of the phone. Yeah. yeah, but the Galaxy S5 was the last 16 by nine sensor, image sensor phone. Since then, everything has reverted to four by three. Sony has made a rule that all of the IMX sensors come out in four by three. So the full resolution is four by three. But then here's the tricky thing. Well, for the record, Sony makes the vast majority of cameras on almost every smartphone. Yeah. Yes. Um, 
So then, and then Samsung references those designs for their own. I think it's ISOCELL is their is their their camera image sensors. Any that's getting off top. The important thing is with these new high resolution sensors. So like the 108 megapixel and the 48 megapixel and yeah, the yeah, 64 yeah. megapixel. Just revert all of that to like 12 or 16, depending on like what it, it scales down to, because you're going to get higher quality. Um, because then you're allowing the AI to do all of the clever piecing together things, and it burns down, and you get better. I'm, I'm losing you. Are you saying that I'm going into my camera settings on my phone? Yes. Whatever the defaults are, what I should do is change it to a 12 megapixel picture. Yes. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Leave the HDR on and yes. tell it to take a 12 megapixel picture at 4 by 3 or yes, does it not three, matter yeah. as long as it's 12 megapixel? Uh, yeah, most of the time it will be, yeah, 12, 12 megapixel will be the, the 4 by 3. Um, and then you're getting maximum quality. You're getting the best relation. You're getting the best combination of the phone's AI capabilities, the HDR capabilities, and the sensor's quality. Yeah, so 12 megapixel is where the camera wants to operate. You yeah. can push it this way or push it that way, but 12 megapixel is where it's happiest operating. Yes. Right? Yeah. So okay. anything, if you go like the full 108 megapixels or the 48 megapixels, you're going to get much smaller pixels, which is then not very good for like capturing light um, data. Yes. Yeah. So in like broad daylight, you're going to get very good um, resolution, but I've found it's a hit and miss situation. And oh. yeah, going... When I look at my phone's camera settings, it doesn't say 12 megapixel photo. It gives me 4 by 3, 6 by 16 by 9, or whatever. And then it gives me different sort of picture sizes. How yeah. do I know which is the 12 megapixel one? Uh, um, the 4 by 3, and it will be. Um, it depends again on the size no. of the sensor. <laughs> okay, so give me an idea of how I would know, because it doesn't often say 12 megapixel right there in the settings. You know, it'll give me like uh, a pixel. It should in brackets, it, it should, but it's usually like one, one of the higher ones. Okay, um, check. Yeah, you are catching me a little bit off here, but yeah, that's yeah, like the basic things. Um, please try and turn the AI off because the AI can butcher a lot of what you are trying to shoot. So, is AI not supposed to be helping us though? Isn't that the whole point? I mean, yeah, but different manufacturers tune differently, and yeah, it's a it's a mess, Kevin. Um, yeah. yeah, and then like composition stuff, and just try and like use the the low angle stuff that I gave you last that tip, and then like set the qualities at this. So it will normally be around four hundred three two by three hundred two four. Um, yeah, that will be like to multiply those two big numbers, but just the first digit together, and you'll see what kind. If it comes up to roughly twelve, then you know you're getting roughly twelve. If you've got something that yeah. says four thousand megapixels by three thousand megapixels, you multiply the four and the three, you'll see it getting to twelve. So that's roughly yeah. how you can guess. Yeah, twelve point two is usually where it will land. Right. Um, so but that's, that's me for the week. And, and the four by three perspective. Okay. Yes. Right. Um, next week. I'm hoping you're going to tell us how to use the pro mode on our camera phones. Some camera phones have got this pro mode. I know you use it a lot, but I turn it on and I just see, oh, white balance and blah, 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 <laughs> and I just tune out. like Because I know how those things work, but I'm not prepared to go to all the trouble to set them. So I'm hoping you're going to give us some pointers on that next week. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. I use it in very specific um, moments, um, but yeah, I'll, I'll dish all of that next week. Um, Gavin, I'm finally, it was actually a monster edit. I'm ready to publish it um, this week. 
the Android phone kind of snapshot across the market. I see a couple of other YouTubers have been doing the same thing. There's like something going around in the universe that's saying, hey, all of the cards by, are on the table now. What do you mean by Android snapshot across the market? What do you mean? So I'm looking at the different state. types of Android phones that you can get right now, um, arranging them in four loose categories. Um, with like three different price brackets. So, okay, so yeah. you're basically trying to make sense of the phone market is what you're saying. Yes. So you're not talking yeah. about Android beyond phones. You're talking about Android phones. Yes, just phones. Because else could be in TVs and all sorts of other things. Okay. No, you shouldn't buy an Android TV, Gavin. No, no, well, buy... it's complicated. It's complicated. Uh, uh, it might get ooh. better. At least it's upgradable all the time. Wow. Okay. The Xiaomi Mi um, TV stick. Is actually very compelling. Although it's stuck on Android 9 right now, um, I hope that it gets upgraded to Android 10. But yeah, the Skyworth TV is the big thing out of that is that the first TVs to come to market with Android 10 natively. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I haven't seen those in operation yet. I've used the previous versions. So I'm interested to see if they've, they've gotten more efficient on the screens. Because I must say, Android TVs, they, it all works fine. It's just not clean and efficient on screen, you know? Yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah, but um, that you'll find on that opinion, guys. Search for me on YouTube, and that's my story for the week. Good. I don't have a whole lot to add. I'm unbelievably still working on my budget true wireless earbuds roundup that I've been working on for two weeks. I just keep getting new product and adding them in. The latest is from a company called Edifier. Now, Edifier is a very interesting company. They've been in South Africa, came and left, came and left. But right now, if you go to Edifier Kozar, you will find some fantastic products. I've received two of them. They're entry-level products. They've both impressed me massively. Most important is the X3 True Wireless earbuds, which are about a thousand rand that I'm busy testing now. They've blown the socks off pretty much everything else. So that's going into my budget True Wireless earbuds roundup, which will be published later today. Do visit Tech Radar and have a look at that. If you're thinking of True Wireless earbuds and you want to get into the market and you want to pay budget price for it. Hmm. Okay. That's my story, um, man. I just want to say that um, thanks to my heartfelt um, apologies on this podcast, LG has finally struck up a relationship with me again, LG South Africa, and are sending me the velvet, finally, so I can get hands on to the king of the midrange, as I am calling it before even using it. Okay. Yeah, I'm, okay, I won't go into detail, but you're basically <laughs> getting the velvet from me, but <laughs> I won't go into <laughs> detail of how that happened. But I think it's shocking that they haven't sent it to you, frankly. Okay, good. Oh, we're cool. all over and out, man. Have a good Cheers, week. man. We'll talk next week when this Apple Silicon event is maybe all Yes, it's going to be a humdinger. Good. Cheers. Bye.